Last week, we were in our third week of Advent, which means we're in our fourth week of Advent here. Fourth, fourth Advent Sunday. If you know what the word Advent means, it talks about the coming, the coming of Jesus, the coming of one. So if you don't know, the Advent is a season of talking about the coming of Jesus, where we celebrate his first coming and we prepare ourselves for a second coming, because we believe that he's coming again, and so we celebrate that. And we said last week that this focus that we wanted to have was the joy of understanding God's faithfulness, right? Understanding God's faithfulness, this unswerving commitment and devotion to us, his, his people, his children, his family. And so God's faithfulness, his unswerving commitment, his unswerving devotion to all of you. And so, and we said, and and this is who God is to you, part of his family. He is fully and faithful and committed to you. So when we talk about that, my, my belief is that at least theologically in our minds or understanding of God, I mean, we love the idea of God's faithfulness. Like it's, it's really, really cool to think, man, God is faithful and God is committed to me in relationship, and this is great, and I'm so thankful. But here's my question for you. In the context of the practical day in, day out, how does God's faithfulness work for you? Right? Like, how does God's faithfulness work for you? Like, if we have our lives marked by a high level of fear on a daily basis, then we have a mental belief of God's faithfulness, but not a practical heart understanding. Because the nature of God's faithfulness is that in the midst of my things that cause worry, God is faithful to meet me. Or anxiety, or doubt, or anger, and all of these things, right, they speak to these areas of our life where we really wrestle with God's faithfulness. Because if we believe that he is faithful, then it means we trust him as Lord, and I know Lord's not language that you use every day, right? I don't go, Lord Becky, right? Or whatever it may be, or Lord Todd, right? We don't use that language every day, but in the context of understanding Lord, in the context of that day, I mean, Lord represented high up, a person we respected, a person that was in charge, a person we listened to, a person that we followed and were obedient to, right? And so this nature then of Lord is saying the Lord is faithful, it means he is committed to me with unswerving devotion in the context of every situation that would cause worry, that would cause doubt, that would cause anxiety, so that those things would be tempered, that they would be pressed down, and God's love and mercy and faithfulness and compassion would rise, and this would be the way that the thing that would define then my life. And so what we're getting at then is that it's beautiful to talk about God's faithfulness, isn't it? It's so awesome to talk about until we then bring it back to our everyday life and go, I'm just not sure in my actual life I fully engage and embrace and actually believe he's faithful. Because I know I believe something if I model it and it defines my life. And so it's a beautiful thing then, right, it's a beautiful thing to actually be honest. It is. 
Like the whole study we did in the fall, emotionally healthy spirituality was helping you be honest about suffering and grief so that God could speak into that. To, to, for God to speak into the, the wall, the dark night of the soul that we find ourselves in all the, in, in life, right? So that God could speak into that and bring healing, right? It's this idea of, of God speaking into our, our family, into our history because so much of our history is defined by brokenness and God wants to speak into that and heal it, right? It's so good to be honest. And so when we come into Advent, this season of celebrating this last week of Advent, the coming of Jesus, and he is faithful, he is unswerving his devotion, we celebrate that it's the case here, but do we actually live and believe it? And so this morning, I just simply want to invite you and encourage you to be honest. Be honest. Be honest about our attention, like in full transparency. So I can be completely honest. Are you cool with that? Oh, my gosh. Please, are you all good with that? Thank you. All right. So I was driving to church this morning, and I went, oh, we really only have one Sunday to give a year-end offering when we really have three, usually. Oh, man, God. I didn't really think about that. Do we need to do something to create another Sunday so people have opportunity to give i mean like i mean jesus and all of a sudden i went i'm speaking on god's faithfulness today yes oh my gosh god's a good one jesus you got me got real nervous there for a second but you're faithful so you better be and uh right no seriously i had this moment like man we're going to one sunday versus three i just told Randall that she goes oh my gosh i didn't think about that either right it's like this oh my it's like because we need like this we need this this is important i'm like and so i had that moment this morning like, you know that all of a sudden, you, like, you feel it like your hair's going like, oh, no, right? Oh, gosh, right? That, like, oh, crap moment. It's like, I was like, oh, Jesus, help us. And I was like, oh, God, this is a moment. Like, this is what happens. I have these moments in the context of relationships. What's going to happen when I was 27 years old and, and desperately single going, am I going to be single for the rest of my life, Jesus, right? Are you really faithful on this? What are you going to do? And all these tension, all these places of like, God, what's going on? All these things financially, all of these things relationally, all these things in the church, all these things with my, with my children, all these things with my parents, God. Man, how do I actually live my daily life in the context of trusting that you're faithful, that you work all things for the good of those who are your children or called by your name? Do I actually, do I believe it and do I believe it? Heart and head. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not, like, just nod your head you understand. Like, right? Thank you, Ed. Right? It's like all these pieces, right? All these things we understand. And so the thing I wanted to say as we dive in today, be honest. Like, don't, don't. Pretend like everything is great. No, be honest, God. In the context of faithfulness, Jesus, you are faithful in coming. You're faithful in coming again. But Lord, in the midst of my life, do I live as if you're faithful? Heard a story. A little boy named Armand, his father, Samuel. 1988. Armand's getting ready for school. He's got his backpack on, has his lunch, and his dad, Samuel, comes to him like he does every day. Kisses on the forehead and say, Armand, just never forget, no matter what happens, 
I will always be there for you, right? I don't know the context of why he said that, but it was like every, listen, every day, I will always be there for you, right? Speaking to his faithfulness as a father, and you can think about all the things that would mean if something bad happens or someone's mean to you, you always have me, right? And so son goes off to school, and all of a sudden, several hours later, one of the worst earthquakes to ever hit Armenia, where they live, hit their town. And so he, so Samuel and his wife, they kind of literally weather the storm, make it through it, and all of a sudden they realize they're, and they're, they're thinking, oh my gosh, our son. So they, they, with a lot of the other townspeople, go running out into the streets and specifically run down to the school and find the school has been utterly and completely demolished. And so Samuel does what every father would do, and it's like, oh, and every mother writes, oh, right? And so he runs over, and he just... He's like, I've got to save him. I've committed him. I'll always be there for him. So he literally walks over to the place where he thinks this classroom would be, and he begins to dig. This is a true story. And just, true story. He starts digging. All of a sudden, other parents around, like, what are you doing? It's a lost cause. Stop. It's like, are you going to dig with me or not? I'm like, no, right? So he just keeps on digging. Several hours later, firefighters come and say, sir, you're going to have to stop doing this, right? It's, it's not going to be good, and you may be confusing things here, but let us do our work. He's like, no, I've committed to my son. So he keeps on, he keeps on digging three hours, six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 28 hours, 32 hours, 36 hours straight. This guy's digging, digging, right? Just rubble, right? Moving rocks, moving beams, and just working, right? Working his, probably his finger to the bones, right? And He lifts a stone. All of a sudden, he hears this faint help. And so he speaks to the person. I don't know what he says. And all of a sudden, he hears back, Papa? So he starts digging even harder, right? Starts digging, digging. All of a sudden, he moves his boulder and looks. And there's like this 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 little space of air. And it's Armand and his entire class. And so he's, Armand, come out. He's like, no, 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 Dad. Let the rest of the class go first. I know you've got me. And all of a sudden, all the kids start coming out one by one, right? One by one. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Dad finally reaches down, grabs Armand, pulls him up, and embraces him. And he said, Dad, I told the other kids not to worry, that you promised me that you would always come and that you would always be there. True story. So when we tell these stories, right, you're like, oh, like, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so, all right, like, this is amazing. And when we talk about the faithfulness of God, like, you have to recognize, like, this speaks to it more than anything else. Because I don't know about you, but I face situations where I cause rubble in my life, right? I cause stuff to happen. He's got to pull me out of the stuff, right? It's like these moments of life occur. All these moments of life happen. And in this moment, right, there's this fact of if God is faithful, he's in the moment. He steps into the stuff and he pulls us out into the rubble and he saves us. It's what he does. It's who he is because he's a God who loves us. And so when we talk about Advent and recognizing the season and this journey that we're on, we're talking about all the promises of God. All the promises of God that in the midst of our life, He is faithful. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. He fulfills them. God keeps His promises. He's a good Father. And listen, I recognize that God recognizing meeting all of these needs, all these promises being fulfilled, so let's just be honest, they don't always look like we think they're going to look. That's part of our tension. 
God moves in ways we don't understand, right? He's like, he's, he always seems to be a little bit late, never quite moves the way we think that he should, or we prayed or told him he should move. But in the midst of all of life, he says, but I work all things for good for those who love me and are called according to my name. He is faithful to move. He's faithful to meet us, right? He is faithful. That's the overarching message of Advent that Jesus came, right? A, a celebration of Christmas. And he, he came and said, I want to show you my humility. I want to come right? and, and, and lower myself. I want to love you. I want to show you grace in the midst of your sin. I want to show you grace in the midst of your suffering because I want to come and I want to rescue you. And we celebrate the second coming because the whole point of the second coming is to pull us out. To complete the work that he started, to bring a final end to suffering, to bring a final end to sin, bring a final end to death, to restore creation to its perfected state. Like this is the story of what Christmas is to be to be about and for us to focus on the midst of the season. He is a God who steps into rubble and he does not give up. He's faithful. He goes the extra mile and he looks to pull us. Out of the rubble of our lives. Like this is the nature of him being faithful. This is what we want to focus on. This last Sunday, this last week of Advent. Of taking faithfulness from here and saying, God, awaken. Awaken me to its truth in my life. That you were unswerving in your devotion to me. And we're going to do that by looking at a. Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see these words of Paul speaking about God, speaking about the faithfulness of Jesus, starting in verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn in your Bibles or look on the screen. It says this, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, the message we preached was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us of the glory of God. So let's get the context here. We don't know exactly the, we don't know the exact argument, but there are a bunch of people who don't, don't like Paul. Like they're mad at him, right? They're mad at him. They've got a few people in the church, set of churches, maybe 30 people. They've got a group of people who don't like him. And they're saying, listen, Paul speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He is not trustworthy. He is fickle. He cannot be trusted. He is flighty. He literally speaks one thing to you, but he comes over here and says no. He'll say yes, 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 but then he'll turn over here and he'll say no. We don't know who these people are exactly, the exact the exact thing going on, but we recognize they're telling each person there, don't trust Paul. You can't trust his message. Don't follow him. He says yes, but then he does something different. He's not trustworthy. And so in defense of himself, Paul makes a pretty big assertion. He comes in and in verse 18 and says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Because basically he's saying we do exactly like the Father does. Basically comes and says the Father says yes to all his promises. When he says yes, he means yes. And I want you to know that's how we are. We're as faithful as the Father is. Pretty big statement here from Paul. 
coming and saying, there his yes is yes, my yes is yes. I am not two-faced. I am not fickle. I am not untrustworthy. No, just as Jesus is faithful in our relationship, so too I am faithful also. But in this, and this is the point for us, we, Paul speaks this truth that he fully understands, or at least much more so than many of us understand, but the faithfulness of God. The reads verse 19 and 20 with me again. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among us by us. Excuse me. It was not, his message was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. And here, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are a yes. They find their fulfillment in Christ. Jesus is not fickle. And you've got to recognize this again for those of you who care about this kind of stuff. There, this is Greece. Like, how many of you read about Greek gods, right? The Iliad and the Odyssey, that kind of stuff. I mean, please raise your hand if you read that. Making sure you're all paying attention. Okay, right. So you understand, these, their gods are idiots, right? They're hot-tempered. They're volatile. They're incredibly inconsistent, right? And so that's their understanding. When they come, they have an under, like, gods to them is this. In reality, Paul's going to say, but he's faithful, right? They have this complete, under, like, Paul has this understanding, but in their mind, they don't fully understand. But, but Paul understands. He's saying, compared to what you understand, God is faithful, and I am faithful like him. There were, it's not yes, and then no, no, his yes is yes. He is not fickle. His yes is yes. His no is no. And the simple part of this, and this is important for us, that this is really the language of Advent, is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Like you all understand how promises work. There is a declaration to do something associated with an obligation to carry it out, right? There's a declaration to do something associated with an obligation to carry it out. So I promise that I will do X, right? A declaration, then you are going to hold me to that. There's an obligation to carry it out. So in the context of promises, then there's a dependability. So I can trust Jay that he's actually going to follow through on the promise that he made to me. So I, I can hold him to that. There's a declaration. We understand an obligation to it. And then a dependability that that person is now going to follow through on it. So Paul here is talking about God's declaration to his people. Scripture is full of promises. And here's the point I want to make. In a moment, we're going to look at several different verses in the context of the Christmas story. And what we're going to see in this, which of these verses that you just kind of read, is that there are actual promises that God made to you. Like he literally made promises, a covenant type promise that he made to you that he declares something, he's obligated to it, and he is dependable in the context. That's where we have tension because we compare promises that people make recognizing they may not follow through because they, because as human beings, remember we said last week, we have an alternative of not being dependable, but God cannot be undependable, whatever the right word is, right? He has to be dependable to promises that he makes. And so we can hold him to these things. And so we have these promises that he makes. So I want you to look at some of these promises that God has made that he's declared, he's obligated to, and that he is fully dependable in. So let's look at these. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. You all know this. She will give birth to a son. The angel speaking on behalf of God. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Listen. His promise. He will save people from their sins. 
That's powerful. Like, and listen, so those who don't know Jesus and they're literally over here in the context of their brokenness, they're over in the context of willful disobedience, in the context over here of living in death because they can't save themselves, they can't do enough good works to save themselves. Listen, listen you can't be good enough to be a Christian. It's a lie. You can't be good enough, right? You need someone to save you from your sin so God can do that. But in the context of this is for us this morning, in the context of those who are Christians, remember Paul said, oh, in Romans, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this life of sin? Dot, dot, dot. Thanks be to God, Jesus. So Paul lived in the context of saying, Jesus said he can save us from our sins. They don't have to define me while I'm on earth. Will I still be tempted? Yes. Why? Because I'm not fully been taken out of the fallen world yet. I'll still be drawn, still tempted. Do you all know, my gosh, that temptation is not sin? Read James 1. Sin pulls us and entices us. It's not sin yet until we then give in to it. Then we fall into sin, Right? So being tempted is not sin. It's what we do when we realize we're being tempted. And so he's saying, man, ten, sin's going to tempt you. You haven't sinned yet. But then when you give into it, you've embraced sin, right? So in the moment of, in the moment of temptation, what does scripture say? He can save you from any temptation. No temptation is too strong to overtake you. Why does he say that? Because he saved his people from their sins. He can reach into any pile of whatever you created and pull you out of it. He can reach into any pile you've created and pull you out of it. He can reach into rubble of your life, decisions that you've made, and he can pull you. Why? Because he promised, I will save my people from sin. Oh, but Steve, you just don't know. Yes, I do. It says it right here. Jesus saved you from it. You don't have to be bound by it and crippled by it your entire life. Man, he saved us. From sin. Matthew 120. Listen, Steve, I still struggle. I get it. People are still falling. I get it. We are weak. But he promises this doesn't have to define you for the rest of your life. Continue to turn away. Say, Jesus. I mean, pray. Say, Jesus, this sin's too much for me. Help me. You promised me that you would save me from sin, the power of sin, because I don't want to define my life forever. Second thing, Matthew 123. All this took place. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the greatest enemies to an authentic relationship with Jesus is our inability to move beyond our feelings. I feel like sin has conquered me. I feel like God is far away. And so you don't pray. And the problem with giving our into feelings is that feelings betray us all the time. Because scripture says that he is God with us, meaning he can't 
leave us, meaning that he's with you even when you feel like he is not. And so you don't go, I don't feel Jesus today. It's a bad day and he's not near me. No, I go, Jesus, my feelings tell me you're not near. So God, I don't know what's going on with that, but I submit, I give my feelings to you and I thank you, Jesus, that you have not left me, you have not forsaken me, that you're with me always to the end of the age and you can't leave me so you are with me. So I'm praying confidently right now, even though I don't feel like it, God. They see what our feelings, our feelings point to things we need to pray into. I say, God, why do I feel like you're not near? Are you trying to teach me something? Is there sin in my life? Do I just seem to kind of get over it and just thank you that you are because the enemy slimed me today and I feel like I'm far away. You need to wash my feet, whatever it may be, right? It's like, God, you're near. So listen, let me tell you something. When I have those, listen, this is important. This is one of the most practical things I'll say. When I have my moments where I feel like God's not near, I don't go, oh, God, oh, where are you? And I just go, Jesus, that's a lie because I know that you are. And so, Jesus, help me, even if I don't feel you, to live like you are and to pray as if you are. Because you're a good father who's committed in the midst of me falling into rubble to reach in and to pull me out. You're always with me. You're Lord of my life. You can't leave me. It's a beautiful thing. Emmanuel, God with us. Take these things and make them practical. Make Christmas come alive, right? Matthew 2, 6. But you, Bethlehem, we read this last week, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Like, I know that you're, you don't, you're probably not best buddies with any shepherds today. I get that, right? I know that you don't hang out with shepherds. I know you don't drive down the road and see shepherds. You're not used to shepherds. You're not hanging out with shepherds. You don't know how shepherds work, right? You go, yeah, I've read about them in the Bible, but as far as much as I know, they still exist today, right? It's like, no, we don't understand shepherds. We don't understand how they work. That shepherds, man, they're not like this, like, doo-dee-doo-dee. You know, shepherds are like fierce. I mean, remember, David killed a lion and killed a bear as a shepherd. He didn't go, oh, my gosh, yeah, there's a lion. Let's go and get him, sheep, Woo! Right? No. He's like, dang it. I've got to protect all of them, and they don't know they should run to me. Right? Oh, so I better go kill the lion. Or when the bear comes up, comes out going, roar. Right? That's my best bear impersonation, right? Roar. Right? And they come out. What do they do? He attacks the bear. He attacks the bear. He saves the sheep. Sheep. Needed to be shepherded. We're sheep. We need to be protected. We need to be led. He is Lord. We follow him. We listen to him. We obey him. But he's a loving Lord. He's a loving shepherd. He draws us in. We speak. He's like, right here. Come on. Right here, sheep. Look at me, right? Follow me. Listen to me. I am leading you. I am your Lord. I am your protector. I will fight for you. I will love you. The nature of them being our shepherd is that they carry great responsibility. They own it. They're obligated. They own it to the point of their own life and death to guard and protect and to care for the ones that they're entrusted with. We are his people. Luke 2.10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. See the promise here? The promise earlier is that we are his people. Is that this one right here is that, that he is good news of great joy. He is good news of great joy. He's good news. 
Good news should be shared. It's not something we hold to ourselves. Good news is good news. It'll be good news forever, right? So every, it's good news for the whole world. Everyone needs to hear. It's not good news for the American Christians and over here somebody else right now. It's good news for the entire world. It needs to be proclaimed. But the second part of this in the context of the good news is good news of great joy for all the people. And here's the thing I want you to see. The great danger of the church that we have today is that we don't recognize that it is good news of great joy and our life should be defined by it. I find people who are defined by worry, doubt, fear, not love, joy, peace, all the way down the line, right? Is your life marked by great joy? The Christmas promise is, hey, Jesus, when he comes, it's great joy. This deep, abiding, inner contentment in your life that's deeper than feelings of happiness. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He makes us to lie down by green pastures as our enemies are coming against us. What? That's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense. It's true of Jesus' deep, inner abiding joy, knowing when I'm in the air pocket, my father will come get me because he's obligated, but primarily because he loves me and he will come. So watch when he does. I mean, just watch what happens, right? He, I'm like, I'm going, you're going through hell. I know, but father will reach in and pull me out, right? It's the nature who he is. And I will have joy in the midst of my suffering because I know he is with me. He is for me and he will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called by his name. And so I will now be a person defined by joy and nothing else. Like, this is the nature of Christmas. He's come to give us great joy. So that's to make you pause and go, wow, Steve. Whew. I'm not really, like, living that very well, right? I'm not really expressing that. That's not really defining my life. And I would go, then that should change the way you pray in a really good way. Jesus, hear this? I can't produce joy God, I've been trying, and I'm just frustrated. So, God, I said, surrender. And I need your grace. I need you to reach down and flood me with joy. I need you to come in the moment, God, and change the way that I view life. I need you, God, to come and to change my perspective. God, I'll be honest with you. You should be able to, this is, this, this, this is a little convicting. I'm just giving you a heads up, Okay. Take a deep step in this. You should be able to ask your neighbor, do you think my life's defined by joy? You should be able to ask your neighbor that. The person who works with you, you should be able to look at them and say, hey, hey, is my life marked by love and joy and peace and patience and like all the fruit of the Spirit? Is my life marked by those things? You should ask that in great confidence. Paul would have been able to. I mean, dude, I'm totally faithful like Jesus, right? What? That's crazy talk, man. Didn't mean he had difficulties. I mean, he died, right? He was martyred. He literally writing some of his letters in prison, full of joy, right? He's like, I'm ready for Jesus to come, guys. I mean, I can choose, could choose this earth to hit, and I'm like tension because I'm like, let's go home, right? But man, while I'm here, I'm marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because I have a deep, inner, abiding contentment. Because he is present with me and doesn't matter what's going on. Like, I say that because that's a promise. It should change the way that we pray. And let's just be honest. I'm going to let you all off the hook. All of us, 100% of us in this room go, oh, when I ask the question about neighbors and joy. Because you don't know. You're like, I'm not sure my neighbors know my name, right? People I'm living around, like, they know.
And the last one, because I want to be honest about the promises that are made in Scripture. Luke 2, 34 through 35. See, the prophet Simeon had been in the temple for years and years praying. Basically, God said, you can stay, Simeon, until you see the face of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden he saw Jesus and goes, bing, 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 bing. There he is, right? Then Simeon blessed Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. So blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon, that last sentence says, you get to watch your son die. You get to watch your son die. He promises hardship. I mean, guys, he promises hardship. He basically says, when he comes, it's going to cause division. It's going to cause division. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, right? Father against father against daughter, father against son, mother against daughter. Because when Jesus comes, you have to make a decision. It's a promise. It's a promise, right? Choose today whom you will serve. Jesus promises that the world in which we live, in the context of Jesus, will not be easy. It will be difficult. Being a Christian will be hard. It will be countercultural, counterintuitive. It's going to be difficult. He says, and it's going to be this difficult thing, and people's sins are going to be exposed, and some people are going to hate him and other Christian followers, and some people are going to love him and become followers. And it's going to be this very, very dynamic tension. I promise you that. Like, you, I, like some of you are like, it would be best to leave that one off. I've got some like newcomers here. That's probably the best thing to share with them because Christmas is fun, right? It's ponies and rainbows, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, no, man, like the promises of Jesus is he's with us and he's for us in the midst of a promised difficulty of life. It's a promise. And we live in the tension of that. And it's healthy that we're honest about those pieces. And what he says is, all these promises that God has made, yes. He can't pull back from them. He literally can't pull back. So there's a lot of things, like I said, lots of things Jesus can't do. He can't lie. He can't be unloving. He can't be unkind. And he can't pull back his promises. He's spoken them, so he has to follow through. He's obliged to follow through on them. He's dependable. All his promises are yes. And my question to you in the context of Christmas and looking at the story that you know so well are these things defining your knowledge of God's faithfulness in your life? And if not, it's real simple saying, Jesus, wow. I believe, but I'm having a hard time. I believe it here, hard time fleshing it out. So, Jesus, I just confess, I'm really bad at trusting your faithfulness. Help me. Come be strong in my weaknesses. Awaken me to things I know here but have a hard time with here. Continue to cry out. Continue to say, Jesus, awaken me to the joy. God, I trust and believe you're dependable, that my life is, that you coming to me is good news, a great joy that can define my life. So, Jesus, there you go. Make it happen. Help me. Help me. That's the heart cry this morning. So, I invite Harvest and Timothy to come and go back into worship this morning and so I just want to kind of lead us into this last time. We talked about a second ago. Talked a second ago that this is our year-end offering. So we're going to do our year-end offering here in a second, okay? And here's what it'll look like. You have your envelope sitting on your chair. You came this morning prepared and ready to give because you prayed and asked God and or you feel confident with the amount, then that's 
Right here are the baskets. If you hate walking forward, you can put it in that little metal box right there on your way out and kind of sneak it in. It's fine, too. Tithes and offerings will go in the same basket, right? So the year-end offering goes in the envelope only. Everything else goes in here, okay? Just like normal. And so you give as the Lord leads. If you're not ready, you can give online. We can make it happen at New Christmas Eve. If you want to make it happen, you can find us up here during the week. I'm sure you're all off this week not working, so you can make it happen. So I want you just to be obedient, okay? So give, and that's fantastic. It's an act of worship. Trusting God's faithfulness, Lord, as I'm giving above and beyond my means possibly, I trust you'll provide for all of my needs, like the story we told last week. And then, and this is where I want you to pay attention. Then, I want you to do, the second thing is, I want you to pray about all the things that we're giving to. Pray for our land. Pray for the place that God's planting us. Pray for, for Faith Bridge foster care. Pray for Shepherd's Rest and, and um, Cobb Street Ministries. They're working, they're working with at-risk women who are suffering abuse. That should cause you to pray. Pray for them this morning. Like really cry out for God that God would flood them with his promises this morning to awaken them. And then after you prayed for them, you can take some time and pray for yourself. Pray for them first. Pray for you second. Right? That's humble. You come to pray for yourself. What do you pray for? Oh, God. I want your promises of your faithfulness to be awakened in me, Jesus. I want to walk in the confidence of Armand who knew his dad would come, Jesus. And I want the knowledge of your coming to flood me with joy so that I live my life not putting people on edge, not living in tension, not talking about people, not talking about frustrations, not naming those as the primary thing in my life, Jesus, but saying, but difficulties, but God is good and he is faithful, he is kind and he loves me, he's forming that against me. Oh, God, you're Pray for the awakening of the promises of God in your life. We'll have ministry teams. Ministry teams, would you go ahead and come forward? And if you want to come forward and get prayer this morning, you can. We have people getting prayed for all first service. So please do that if you'd like. We have communion available this morning again just to celebrate. But let's respond this morning. We're going to sing for a little while and probably in about, I don't know, 10 minutes. I'll come back up here and close out. So you respond this morning as the Lord leads. And above all, let's say, God, just awaken. Awaken me to you this morning.